0: So imagine going to your job, which is school, every day and feeling rubbish and feeling like you can't, you just can't do it. And then you come home and you feel rubbish because your parents are telling you, well, you know, you're not getting the grades. So it's an all around rubbish feeling. So by the time they get to middle school and high school, a lot of students have just checked out. They're just waiting to be done.
1: Throw out homework, worksheets, ominous buildings, hall passes, herds of students, grades, all of it. What would you build? If you start with the amazing thing that is a young person, how would you honor all of their strengths and abilities? How would you remember that this is about them? If Dewey was right, and education is not preparation for life, education is life itself. We need to do more than rebuild schooling. We need to rethink living. Welcome to the Education is Life podcast, where we're having honest discussions on the state of education, where it is, where it can be, and all of the stories in between. Aditi, welcome to the Education is Life podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on.
0: I've quite a history. So I was born in India when I was five. We moved to Zambia, which is in Africa. So I had most of my elementary schooling in Zambia. And then I went to boarding school at the age of 12 to uh, Liverpool, England. Then I came to the United States when I was 18 for college and settled in the booming metropolis of Naperville, Illinois and then yeah boarding school was a whole new environment just because at the age of 12 getting on an airplane and going to a completely different country that sort of set the stage for that so when I meet people now who are like "Oh, I'm so worried about my child going to middle school or high school I'm like oh for god's sake really fiddlesticks! get over it because <laughs> it just seems so simplistic given what I went through at 12. Uh, my mum you know is a a doctor, my dad an engineer, a very stereotypical Indian family. So it was all about tutoring and education. That was paramount in my social life at that time.
1: There's a question I've been wrestling with a little bit lately is when people say that they were a good student or they're not a good student or my kid's a good student or not a good student, what, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Well, to me,
0: then as a child, it meant that I didn't measure up to my peers. You know, it was um, it was all about reinforcement. Everybody got reinforcement for getting good grades. I was not getting that reinforcement. I was getting a lot of attention for not getting good g- grades. But as I got older, um, it became very detrimental uh, psychologically for me.
1: Were you getting lots of uh, negative attention?
0: Well, you know, my brother was the, was the smarty in the family. And my dad was an engineer, my mom was a doctor. So I was just not meeting the mark. Um, and the expectation was that I was going to be a doctor. There was no other option. That was just sort of the path laid out for me. So I felt like I was disappointing everyone all the time. The, you know, the quintessential black sheep of the family. And in boarding school, the added layer of being a non-white in the eighties in all girls boarding school, very high end. Uh, there was a lot of racism. It was very, it was, it was hard. So I think all those factors impacted my education because it wasn't just about learning academics. It was learning to navigate a life, um, with dif- differences, I guess.
1: Yeah. So what, what lessons did you take away from that?
0: Well, when I first got there, I was very shy. Um, and I didn't interact much, but, Toward the end, you know, I, I really broke out of my shell and started standing up for myself. I think that was a big lesson. But the problem with the educational system in England, it's very sort of one size fits all. Like, this is just the way you learn. And if you don't get it, oh, well. And there's one big test at the end of the year. And if you bomb that, oh, well. Like, there weren't any remedy options remediating options along the way.
1: Like either you can do the work or you can't, and you know, that's really on you, which uh, for a lot of people makes a, can make school kind of rough. What brought you to the States?
0: I, you know, I didn't do well in my uh, A-levels, which is basically the tests you take before you get into university. And uh, you only take three subjects. So I, obviously I took the sciences cause that was mandated. And um, I did rubbish. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And I knew I wasn't going to med school, uh, at least in England. My brother was already in the United States. So my dad decided to send me here. Um, I took the SAT, did fairly rubbish on that too. And, um, you know, basically ended up at a university here, just sort of saying, okay, we'll figure it out. And um, got here. And that's when I had a real revelation when I came to the United States, I realized that academia, at least higher level academia, there was a lot of opportunities for remediation, right? If you weren't good at uh, statistics, you could meet with the professor outside and get some additional help. You could do extra credit assignments. Like these were not options when I grew up in England. It was, you either did well on the test or you did nothing. So, That was huge. And the other thing, because I didn't have all the pressures, the negative psychological pressures that I was facing in England um, and probably with my family too, uh, I flourished. I really thrived in the academic setting and I really surprised myself. I was like, gosh, I, I guess I'm not stupid. Um, And I would take like four classes at a time. My GPA was brilliant. I graduated, you know, with high honors. I was like, so shocked at myself, honestly. Um, but I still had this sort of inkling that I was stupid, that I was not meant for academia, that I was not meant to be a doctor because I wasn't smart enough. So after my bachelor's, I, I quit school. Like I, I said, I'm just gonna be a therapist and I left it sort of there, much to the dismay of my family.
1: <laughs> I think that speaks to the level of uh, expectations of your family, where it's, I'm just going to be a therapist. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes. They were sad. That's the funny thing. They were so sad about that. My dad would remind me every day that, you know, you really need to go back to school. Um, but I think he too f- sort of gave up on it for a bit. Um, then I ro- roll around to age 40 and I was like, no, I, I'm not going to stay in this. I can't do this to myself. Um, where I'm constantly telling myself that I'm stupid, and that's why I limited my abilities. So I went back to school, and I got my doctorate, and I was floored that I was able to do it. And of course, when I told my dad that, he was beside himself so happy. And I remember that the program is a doctorate program versus a PhD, you know, there's a slight difference. And um, I told my dad I said well dad it's not quite a PhD per se it's, it's actually called a doctorate." and he goes well are they going to call you doctor I'm like yes <laughs> that was all that he was worried about which I just thought was funny and he was just so excited he cried at my graduation so like for him culturally it just meant so much um it really didn't mean much to me I, I really couldn't care less about the title but I had to prove it to myself that I wasn't as stupid as I had grown up believing
1: that I was. Yeah, there's some interesting research that came out, I think late last year maybe, about parenting styles in different countries, and how they compare to uh, how much of a safety net there is for families, and the ones who come from countries where the safety net is the smallest, so the difference between the wealthiest and the Most poor is pretty large, uh, have the kind of strictest parenting styles.
0: Mm, I can believe that.
1: And so I thought that was some interesting things to play into, you know, from an educationist life standpoint, right? I mean, it's not just about school you're going to. This is your life, right? Right. Even though you're 12 or you're 8 or you're 18 or you're 22, like, you are still living. This is still your life and uh, figuring out how the pressures of quote-unquote being a good student play into that is something i'm really interested in kind of digging in more to because i do think a lot of people end up with you know why i must be stupid when traditional schools just look at a very small slice of what human potential is uh when you have so much more ability to do different things
0: oh i so agree and i I think another perspective for me is that For our children, their job is going to school, right? That's their career for the time being. So imagine going to your job, which is school, every day and feeling rubbish and feeling like you can't, you just can't do it. And then you come home and you feel rubbish because your parents are telling you, well, you know, you're not getting the grades. So it's an all around rubbish feeling. So by the time they get to middle school and high school, a lot of students have just checked out. They're just waiting to be done. And that's what I experienced myself, and I didn't want that for my children. And I do think that's a lot of what's going on in schools today.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you saw that either, but in Ch- in Chicago, in the Chicago public schools, high school students in any given year, forty percent of them experience clinical depression, mm. and it's. I, I think a lot of it is like what you're talking about, where it's a Imagine if you were in that job and you can't quit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't get paid for it. Uh, Your biggest support network rides you for not being good at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it can be a really difficult situation.
0: Right. I agree. And I think I was in that psychological depression, uh, at least in the academic level, for a long time. I think I still carry some of it with me. There's no doubt. Like uh, a lot of my peers will tell me, you know, just you've done so much. You should believe in yourself. And I, I have to remind myself, you know, I have to cue myself to be positive about my uh, academic abilities.
1: Yeah, no, it's I feel as though we create so much baggage in that kind of years of eight, zero to 18. Mm -hmm. Um, that if we can find ways and one of the things we talk about at Greenfields is how can we make sure that we aren't creating baggage? In fact, we're making, we're making young people more resilient to be able to deal with things that do come up uh, because I do think it's formative and it's really hard to unchange those things because they become the neural pathways that get developed. Exactly. Um, so that, so at 40, you go and get your doctorate and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, your, yeah, your doctorate. And then uh, what did you do with that?
0: Well, um, getting my doctorate really meant that I could um, pursue an academic position if I wanted to, you know, teaching was my goal at the end of the day um, in higher education. So um, I've been doing that and working as a therapist.
1: And uh, you're a parent now? Yes. Is that true? Three boys. So now now that you're a parent (laughs) um, and you're seeing your children through education, uh you know formal schooling what 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 has their experience been like?
0: well, you know um, you have four children, you know I have three they're all different, and um, my first one, my eldest you know school comes easy to him he's lucky i'm quite envious, my middle one not so much, and so that's really where my journey started was with Tristan, my middle son i I just didn't want him to have those like life experiences that I had related to school. So for the first, you know, until he was about eight years old, I was constantly working with him, tutoring him myself, teaching him, researching as much as I could. I mean, I was on him like white on rice constantly. And, you know, so he's eight years old, he's in school and he abhors math like, just hates it. Like I have to peel him off the floor to do anything math related and the crying, the drama, you know, and of course I fell into that whole, okay, well maybe, you know, he's got ADHD, maybe he's got this, he's got that. Well I did all the traditional things that most parents do at least in Naperville. Um, You know, we went to a, a psychologist, got him tested Um, started tutoring outside, even started OT because of sensory issues. Um, You know, know, did all the things in my checklist of being a good Naperville mom and ended up, um, you know, getting a five or four for him. So I got tons of support and being an OT, I had so many resources, but my son was not making an iota of progress. And in the meantime, that psychological mess that he was in he was spiraling into this, I'm rubbish. I'm never going to be as good as, you know, my brothers. I'm just not good at school. School's not for me. And that was just harrowing for me as a mum and as somebody who'd been there, right? So, um, I, and I was in the thick of my doctorate at the time. So I was like, okay, you know what? Um, the doctor had been pushing meds. So I was like, okay, let's try it because I just need to get through my thesis and then I'll worry about, what to do with Tristan. Ended up putting him on meds um, for a bit, for ADHD. And that was a whole different experience. You know, did it work? Did it not? Who knows? I have no idea, because nothing with medication was data-based. You know, it was all very sort of subjective, anecdotal. Well, how do you think he's doing? And they're asking the school. And then there were days he was just walking around like a zombie because the, the dose was wrong or whatever. Anyway, we had lots of problems. And the other thing that I found is like the my other boys would chastise Tristan. Where they'd be like, Oh, have you not had your meds today? Like if he was misbehaving or whatever. And I thought, Oh gosh, really? Like it was just not something I knew I wanted long term. So alongside my doctorate in um health sciences, I was allowed to do like 20 credit hours in the master's program. And I chose applied behavior analysis, because it's a great adjunct being an OT and behavior applies to everybody. So I was like, perfect. So I take this class, it's an online class in um, Florida. And the professor, Dr. Behrens, she teaches a class on precision teaching. This was one of my last classes in this course. So I'm listening to her teach and I'm like, oh my gosh this is what trista needs it's a precise measurement system and it's applied to academia i'm like how brilliant so right that moment i called i picked up the phone and i called my professor and i thought um i'm just gonna do this and i I asked i said look i I want help for my son and i just saw your course and I want to know how i can get it and actually the first thing i said to her is you know i'm an ot don't hold it against me because i don't know if you know but a lot of times abas and ot's don't quite um, think alike they're not really in sync always so um i was a bit trepid about that and um i just said you know i want this for my son how do i get it and she's like well there's nothing in illinois so you'd have to come to new york and i was like well i'm there So I went there every Thanksgiving. I basically asked them to train me so I could teach my son. That was my only goal was to help Tristan in math. Got certified in it, came back to Chicago, and the program is based on fluency. So the criteria was I'd have to work with him four times a week.
1: So if you like what you're hearing or you don't and you want to come on and talk about it, Go ahead and visit uh, greenfieldsacademy.com and, uh, and let us know that you want to be on the podcast and you, you want your opinion to be heard. I'd love to hear from you.
0: So I was doing my doctorate working and then I was working with Tristan. It was mad. But I was like, I want to see this. You know, program uh, claims to move students at least one grade level in 40 hours. And I was like, oh, I want to see this for myself. So I did it. I worked with Tristan, and sure enough, he moved our whole grade level within two and a half months. Um, and that was with me working with him at least three to four times a week. And not only did his grades improve, but his self perception. He was like, Mom, I'm really good at math now. And actually, it was funny. I took him to the psychologist. I, I didn't tell the uh, psychiatrist or psychologist whoever. Prescribed them medication. I didn't tell them anything. I took him over for his follow up appointment. The doctor interviewed Tristan and said, You know, Tristan, so how is school going? And Tristan said to him, You know, I'm really good at math now. And I almost fell off my chair. I'm like, You're good at math. Like, this is the child that I'd have to peel off the floor and, you know, big crying match about math. So I knew that I'd done something right then. And then the, you know, the doctor says to me, well, Miss Mara, you know, it sounds like the medication's working. And I was like, I took him off meds four months ago because I wanted to see um, if this program really works. So that's really how um, my experience with Tristan, my son, opened the doors for me and doing my doctorate brought me to this um, program that eventually helped my son.
1: So that's fit learning, right? Yes. And so how are you involved with that now?
0: Well, so after I saw the first-hand results with my son, I was like, my gosh, why isn't this available for everybody? And so um, the founders asked me to if I would be interested in opening a lab here in Chicago. Um, and I actually, I actually opened one in Naperville first quit my day job and said, okay, this is what I'm doing. Cause I was, I just believed in it. I was so passionate about it. And um, I can honestly cha- say that we changed lives. We transformed students. Um, we'd had students who'd come to us in the fourth percentile and we moved them to 80th percentile within 40 hours. It was phenomenal. And it still is. It is the best program that I have experienced as a parent, as a therapist. And so then my mission just became to let people know um, that it's available.
1: What makes the program so uh, powerful?
0: Several things. Um, The science. The science we use is um, called precision teaching, which basically means there is precise measurement for each um, response, each um, item that we are assessing or measuring, so in traditional school, you know you might learn something and then you take a test and if you get eight out of ten or t- above, you pass that's sort of the criteria. Our program is not based on just one test because what we want to know is have you truly mastered the material traditional school there's no criteria for mastery that 's it if you If you pass a test in their eyes you 've mastered so what we do is really test mastery all along the way and it's based on fluency so it's not just how many did you get right how many did you get right within the time frame based on our research we know that if you get x number correct uh, in a minute you have truly mastered this material and that's what makes it so powerful because we measure all along the way, every step of the way. And it's so transparent. That was the biggest thing that I had seen as a parent's perspective. I'd done so many programs for my son, uh, traditional tutoring, where A, I'd be bribing him to go, which is another, like <laughs> if you're bribing your child to learn, you've lost the battle before you even start in my eyes. Um, but what I was doing with Tristan, was measuring his progress all along the way and i could see it in a form of chart and i could show his teachers look this is where he started and this is where he is now every single week i was able to give that data to his teachers or to show my peers say look he's you know i can see the results i can see the improvements where in traditional tutoring you're going once a week and it's never ending and you don't get that transparency you don't know if it's working or not and that was important to me. Um, That's interesting,
1: coming, coming from someone who is a therapist as well, because I feel like in a lot of therapy, it's that type of, I, you don't know if you're improving or not, and it may never end. Um, <laughs> to, to bring that kind of scientific piece to it is, uh, I think is great.
0: Well, um, it really did open my eyes even as an OT. So I, I adapted a lot of that measurement piece into my own practice, and I saw the results there too
1: how would you f- see a way of incorporating this into like the future of the way we do formal education as opposed to needing to have these things added on to the outside of what this you know big traditional system is
0: uh, the fit learning curriculum what we focus on is the foundational skills math reading and logic that's all we we don't claim to, to teach anything else Uh, We're not science. We're not social studies. We are based on improving your learning capacity and ability. And how we do that is building fluency in those basic skills. So if that was part of the curricula in public school system, I can see how that would ameliorate so many problems later on because I see it in our uh, lab setting right now students feel more confident because they're, they're really testing against themselves when they are in our program. And because we are based on behavior analysis, we know how to use positive reinforcement to really get the maximum out of students. So if this, there was any way to inculcate this into the Chicago or any public school setting, it could only help and hopefully avoid those futuristic problems of you know behaviors that come around with not feeling good at something uh, the way we measure the way we chart it's very simple once you know it and actually Ogden Linsley is the Ogden Lindsley is who designed the precision teaching charts and he designed them for teachers um so that they could measure. So really we're just reviving something that was already scientifically introduced and proven to be effective.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a great story and the, the way you got there in your journey through your own education and uh, being able to see that not doing well in a K-12 setting doesn't mean not doing well in college or in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, a very informative thing. And to see so many kids struggle through the, their K-12 experience is a, it's just heartbreaking. You know, if you're going through and you're getting 80%, 70%, even 90%, that still means you're showing that 10, 20, 30% you don't know. And then to just be pushed off into the next spot, it's like a, what Sal Khan called a Swiss cheese education, right?
0: Right. You know exactly. there's holes
1: inside, you just don't know where they are.
0: Exactly. And I also feel like, um, you know, education stops being fun then, you know, because. Y- and especially in math, I've seen this in math. Especially is if you don't have those foundational skills, it is very hard. And our research shows that building fluency in these foundational skills actually improves your ability to do higher level thinking and functioning. I had a student that we um, we tested math and reading. We only did a reading curricula. We didn't even touch math for the summer, mm-hmm. and then we tested them again for both subjects, and they had improved in math when we hadn't even touched it so there's this notion um the scientific notion of generativity where what you're really doing when you build fluency is you are getting that brain to fire fast right it's those neurons are firing and that builds channels that were not there before and that is applicable to any learning environment so that was the other thing that i was really Really excited about with so many clients that I've seen. Parents would tell me, you know what? He would never talk before much, and now he's coming up with ideas that I I don't even know where these come from. Well, that's that generativity and neurology plane. So there are just so many benefits. I think my wish is, you know, I'd hope that one day I can um, introduce it to the public education system so it doesn't have to be a standoff
1: being good at one thing helps you be good with everything else. I think it's very much a mindset driven type thing where it is. I am a powerful learner. I just don't get this yet versus where I think math can be especially difficult where oftentimes we're taught one way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, And if you don't show your work and having done it that one way, even if you got the answer, right, you're still marked as a deficient. Um, And it's not like a nuanced thing with reading or writing, where it's no like you are wrong, and it makes it it makes it hard to kind of build a strong mindset off. You know, we work on building a, a resilience around it, and like, hey, we're just going to stick with this until you figure it out. Um, and so they they know that they can accomplish things, and I think bringing that mindset towards everything else, whether you built that up through reading or through logic or through math, um, is going to make you more confident and more engaged in the other parts of. Education and learning and going after the things that you want to learn it gives you the power like hey I'm interested in this thing and I know I can go learn it even if I don't have a teacher
0: Right, exactly. It's I think it's building confidence um, intrinsically, right?
1: Yeah, authentic happy authentic confidence right where it's not everyone gets a participation trophy. Yes, but every everyone's given the time and supports to be able to get to where they need to get to Mm -hmm. Uh, rather than feeling that like, oh, I'll never get there. Uh, I just can't do it. And uh, a lot of victims speak. And I think negative self-talk comes from that. Like, I'm sorry, we just don't have more time. We're moving on. And you know it, quote unquote, well enough.
0: Yeah, you know, and you may have some insight to this too. Like, I feel like when my children or my students do well in an assignment, there's that immediate reinforcement they get and, And they're almost like they have this aura and good feel about them. And, you know, there's no doubt when you've received that reinforcement, there is that chemical release in the brain. And that's what is missing for so many students. And they're missing it for so long when they're struggling in school that they don't realize it's there. So what we do is really bring them back. If you um, ever have the chance to see our videos, any of our sessions, you'll see they're super fast paced, super engaging. There's no time to do anything except be engaged. And students really are competing with their own school. So that reinforcement they get, it's constant. We run about 44 timings in a session. That's a lot of reinforcement. And that's why students love our sessions. They don't avoid them, they don't try to get out, they enjoy coming because we're associating reinforcement with academics and schoolwork, which they're not always getting at school, sadly.
1: How do you make it so that the the reinforcements that you're giving don't end up being so extrinsic that once those awards or recognitions are taken away that the the performance wanes
0: that's a brilliant question um so the reinforcement they get is within the session and what we're doing is building fluency in those foundational skills however we also take a test on a weekly basis um, using the cbms uh, the curriculum based measurements You know, which depending on math or reading uh, takes about three minutes to eight minutes. So we take that on a weekly basis so we can see what we're doing in our sessions. Is it really this fluency building? Is it generalizing to um, their work? And they can see their own scores. So we take a test every Friday, for example, and they can see, oh, I was on 22nd percentile and today I'm at 50th percentile. And that is reinforcing just in their performance. And then we see it at school. Well, you know, parents or teachers will email us and say, oh my gosh, he's reading really well. So that reinforcement comes there too. Um, It is very, very holistic. And once it starts, it proliferates and it's very holistic because once you associate learning with reinforcement in a specific area, math or reading, you know, it, it sort of feeds itself. You do it more and get more reinforcements. That's what we see all the time.
1: Yeah, you're you're building those neural pathways that associate learning with endorphins and uh, in keeping them there.
0: Yeah, there's a term in uh, ABA, it's called pairing. Basically you pair something that's difficult with something that you really like and eventually you start associating it you know, your brain starts associating to those two things. So initially, math is difficult, but we pair it with reinforcement that we extrinsically provide. And eventually, math, without us being the stimulus, becomes uh, motivating.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's great stuff. Um, from a sense, this isn't in all the schools. And, uh, you know, what, what advice would you give to people out there so that we can help our children become more happy and healthy people in the world now? Should they be, what types of people should be looking for uh, fit learning? Um, who Who is a good quote unquote fit? Uh, and uh, who, who maybe you aren't able to help as well?
0: Well, um, you know, the criteria basically is uh, we can only help students who are uh, verbal. Uh, we cannot help any students who- the device, anything for, for talking, just because it is a verbal repertoire. Um, but we help students from three all the way to 18. So parents ask me all the time, well, can this help my high schooler? Well, and I asked them, I'm like, do you think it would help your high schooler to come up with math facts or read faster? Do you think that would help you the SAT score or ACT score? Absolutely. Because it's all about timing and speed. We've got to get those math facts and things coming out faster, so that they have more time to focus on the higher, more um, complex problems. But also, research shows that if you are fast in these foundational skills, you're going to be faster, right? If you're fast in basic one-digit multiplication, you're going to be faster at double-digit. So. Um, we work with all types of students and we do not focus on diagnoses so that would be my suggestion for parents is be cautious of labels Um, whether it's dyslexia adhd whatever it is if you feel like it serves you to have a label it helps your situation by all means but i found being an ot also that labels can be limiting um because it sort of sets a ceiling. And I I found myself doing that with my son. Well, he's got ADHD, can't help it. Well, maybe he can't help it. Maybe it is harder for him. But that doesn't mean that I don't push him to be the best, um, that his ability. And then, um, you know, also thinking outside of the traditional tutoring model, I think as parents, we get sort of, complacent with it you know it's it's like a traditional tutoring is like a band-aid approach if you're not going back and diagnosing why is he struggling in math why is he struggling in reading you're not really addressing the issue you know you're just sort of addressing a very um, peripheral problem and so i'd be cautious of that because in your mind as a parent it's sort of a placebo effect well i'm doing everything i can but are you really And what's the most precious commodity we have as parents with our children? Time, right? To me, I would rather do an intensive program and be done with tutoring so that my son has time to play uh, soccer and and do all those other fun things than once a week tutoring forever. but I do want to say there are certain students who benefit from tutoring. So I'm not knocking all types of tutoring, um, but certain st- students don't. So you, you know your son or daughter best, uh, but I would just be cautious of labels and just always going to the traditional methods.
1: Yeah, labels are a mixed bag, right? Sometimes they help us be able to identify and figure out which tools to use, and sometimes uh, people end up becoming their label. And, uh, exactly that's a really hard thing to, uh, to swing out of.
0: Oh, I think you said it perfectly. You know, that label, I mean, I had a student once who I was working with him at bit and, um, I was like, Oh, you know what? Your score was 10 here. I think you can get 12. Let's, let's try to get 12 next time. And he goes, well, you know, I can't because I have ADHD. You know that, right? And because of my training in ABA, I just ignored that comment and we just moved on and he's, Sure enough, he got the score he was supposed to. So it's about giving attention to the information you really want rather than and ignoring what you don't want, right? I didn't want to give attention to the fact that he, he has ADHD or he doesn't, whatever. I was like, all I care about is your best performance. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really important that we're cognizant of what labels can and can't do.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that your, your approach reminds me of a lot of great education technology that is out there too, that utilizes more engaging ways, more targeted approaches to be able to help young people more quickly develop the skills they need. Um, But then they can't find an audience anywhere because they don't fit into schools, they don't fit into these places. And so we have a lot of this great learning science that just doesn't get used, where I think a program like yours, if we were using that type of precision level, uh, focus on getting all kids to mastery um, as quickly as they could, uh, then the whole thing moves moves more quickly. I, when I first started with Greenfields, I was really interested in finding research on how we can get children to learn more quickly, and there's a remarkable dearth of research in that space, and I'm convinced it's because no one knows what to do with a college graduate who's 16 years old.
0: Right, right. Now that makes so, sense.
1: Yeah. So what we try to do is uh, take advantage of like two hours of core work a day. um, Mm -hmm. And then what can we do uh, in addition with all this time that we have? And that's where we do the really interesting projects and help kids explore and find their passions and their purpose uh, and really get them to enjoy the whole learning aspect. uh, And it's based on these skills. So it's like math. We don't learn just for math purposes. We utilize Um, self-regulation and goal-setting and prioritization as the real skills they're learning while they're getting the math concepts down. Um, And those are the types of skills that I think really help them in the long run. And I think it's a lot of what happens with the stuff you're doing creates a stronger mindset for them that once they move out of math, once they get into science or once they get into life, they get in their job, they figure out what they want to do. They've got those baseline skills to be able to attack problems with an uh, authentic confidence and the skills to be able to do it. So I think uh, you're doing yeoman's work and the fact that you you kind of uh, took it onto your life's work to, uh, to make people's lives better and to make them more uh, confident and uh, stronger people, you know, I, uh, I commend you for that work and I'm really excited about what you do.
0: Thank you so much. It's, I, I'm not gonna pretend it's been an easy journey. <laughs> It has not. Um, I have you know, I never wanted to be a business owner. That was never my intention. I'm rubbish at marketing and sales, that's not my thing. I'm really a therapist and a mom who found a brilliant solution and I just wanted to share it with the world and parents who are interested. Um, but it's been hard. It's been hard being a business owner with a new you know know, our our tendency is to go and look at things that are shiny and have lots of bells and whistles and we are basically an independent contracting company we're not we don't have a huge advertising budget we don't have all the shiny elements i guess but what we do have is research 20 years of research and data everything we do is data-based even behaviors we have a student who's come to us who uh, mum would be like he's always yawning know in his tutoring sessions and at school and we took data on the behavior of yawning and decreased it to zero so that changed his perspective at school and the way teachers looked at him so learning is a lot more than just math and reading it's your behaviors too how active you are in the actual process of learning so I so enjoyed the journey and I continue to. So we have a location in Chicago, but we, I also have one in London I just opened. Um, and because I'm so passionate about it, I keep going even though there are elements I don't like about <laughs> having a business.
1: That's great, uh, international expansion. Uh, n- next you're gonna end up with uh, one in Zambia. Get all your background covered.
0: Have a virtual one in uh, Saudi Arabia.
1: Oh, nice. If people wanted to email you, how could they uh, get a hold of you?
0: Um, it's draditi at fitlearnersil.com. So it's draditi at fitlearnersil.com.
1: Well, fantastic. Thanks to you again for taking the time and uh, joining us today. I think. uh, it was very informative for me, and I think our audience is really going to appreciate it. And uh, hopefully uh, they will see some more tools that they can help their children on their journeys.
0: Thank you, Rob. so honored to be on your show. And I really do love your podcast and all that lovely information. I wish I'd found it earlier. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and tune in next time for a fresh new episode of Education is Life.